We're in part four. There we go. We're in part four of our series, Free Spirit, looking at the second half of Galatians. We did the first half of Galatians before I took my break. And we've been looking at Paul take a really kind of hard line on our tendency to try to, okay, I know God loves me and I know Jesus died for me, but now in order to kind of stay in God's good graces, I need to be good and I need to follow the rules and conform to certain levels of righteousness in order for God to be okay with me. And we've seen Paul take a really hard line against that through this whole thing. In this series, we started in Galatians 4, where he talked about the difference between a hired hand and an heir. That a hired hand, like working on a farm, you could work on a farm for 40 years, and every week you get your paycheck, you get you know, the rewards of your work, there is a blessing uh, to the hard work, but even after 40 years of faithful labor, you still don't own the farm. All you did was work, and you got a, you got a paycheck, but you didn't own the farm. But a, a child, a son or daughter, they own the farm. It's not about they earned it, they were given it, they inherit it. They might also work on the farm, but they're not working it because they're trying to get it, they're working on it because it's theirs. And he used that example to talk about, do we relate to God that way? Are we like a hired hand where we're trying to work and hopefully earn a good standing with God? Or do we understand that he, through Jesus, declares us as his children, and we inherit the kingdom, we don't earn the kingdom? Then we talked about the fact that because of this tendency we have of wanting to kind of follow the rules, that it's easy to end up with leaders who give us the rules and make us need them so that they can have followers. And Paul warned about the, these leaders who were making uh, the Galatians need them so they could say, hey, look, I have a bunch of followers. And he warned us against that. Then last week, we looked at the idea you can't have a little law. That we, we, we understand Jesus and we want to do Jesus, but also mix in, but you also have to, you also have to. And Paul said, listen, if you're going to start earning a standing with God, by following the law, then you got to go that whole way. And Paul said, and Jesus is useless to you. And he made a, just a really strong, difficult statement. And he said, Christ is of no account to you if you're going to try to earn goodness by doing the right thing that way. So that's where we've been. Now, the problem is we don't, we, we say, okay, it's by grace, not through works. It's not a result of works. But what do I do? Tell me what to do. We like to know what to do. And so Paul, after what is now five and a half chapters, four and a half chapters, Paul's finally going to say, okay, here's what you do. <sighs> finally, oh, something tangible. So let's dive in. Caleb's already read it. Let's just start unpacking it. So the first thing in, this thing's really slow today. First thing in verse 13, he's actually coming back to verse 1. Verse 1, he said, it was for freedom that Christ set you free, therefore keep standing and don't go back to slavery. Then he went, oh, that reminds me, in 2 through 12, he kind of went off on a talking about, again, you can't have a little law. Then in 13, he comes back to his original point, for you are called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. He says, you are called to freedom, to be free. You're called to be free. However, what does free mean? He says, free isn't freedom, your freedom is not for you. Now, this this does not this will not jive well with Americanism. I'm not I don't have a problem with Americanism, it's just not biblicalism, which is your freedom is not so that you can do what you want. He says, 
No, you're free so that you can serve. You're free so you can serve. And so in your freedom, serve one another. And then he really has the big verse, verse 14. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, that's, if we boil down the whole law, he says, really, the whole law is fulfilled. Everything that God commanded is really fulfilled in love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. He says, that fulfills. That's all of that is how do you treat others? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? That's the whole law. And then he says, on the flip side, verses, verse 15, if you bite and devour one another... Take care that you are not consumed by one another. He says, because that's, that's when you're not caring for each other. And if you ever look at any group of people, any human organization or anything that are based on kind of division, they tend to keep getting smaller. You know, like we start with, okay, we're going to unite this side because we are on the right. Ooh, it feels good to be right. Then we have the left. So, so they're, they're out. They're out. They're not part of us because they're, you know, they're sitting over there. They're near the road. There's a, the young people are back. It's just, oh, it's just the whole, you know, so, so it's us, us. Oh, we're good. They're bad. Okay. So then we're like, okay, so we're pretty good over here. Except, you know, you wonder about those people who are sitting back. Are they really committed? I mean, why are you sitting back? You know, the A student sat up front. So, hmm, I'm not sure. They, they probably wish they were over there. I'm, so, all right, we're going to exclude the last few rows. Sorry, Mom and honey. But, hey, you know, sacrifices must be made. All right, so now we're the true ones. But, you know, I've been kind of wondering about the people in the fronts. Who do they think they are? They think they're better than us? Oh, he's going to sit up front. So, so pretty soon it's like two rows in the middle. You know, T.J. and Bernadette are like, we're good! <laughs> and it just... Oh, and Cody's like, get more in the middle of yourself because I'm out of camera range. Sorry. But the whole thing is, this is what, this is what happens. You, and you see these groups get smaller and smaller because you have to keep, you know, we're, we're the pure people, but pretty soon, well, you're not as pure as I am. And it divides, and he says, that's, that's the other option. You bite and devour, and you tend to consume one another. So then he says, verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, that means to live, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now we, our legacy is the Puritans. My family was Puritan-ish. I don't know if they were like Puritans, Puritans like the like Pilgrim Puritans, but they they were Puritan-ish. The first the first hall that we've got over here um, back in the early 1700s was Deacon John Hall. That's how he's when you search the genealogy. It's not John Hall. It's Deacon John Hall. There you go. He gets Deacon. And then his son was Hate-Evil. One word, Hate-Evil, first name, Hate-Evil. That's it. When I asked my dad, can you give me suggested names for kids? He gave me that one. Like, thanks, Dad. You got to be like, well, that pastor thinks he's something. But that was a name, Hate-Evil. Hate-Evil has a son, Hate-Evil. What a son, Hate-Evil. Can you imagine Hate-Evil III? But, you know, I was like, they should have had a daughter named Love Good, but anyway. We have this idea of what is the desires of the flesh that kind of comes out of Puritanism, which is the, the desires of the flesh are sexual desires. 
Now, that is included for sure, but when he says the desires of the flesh, he's not talking about like the most evil desire you can think of and the stuff that, you know, they can't show on TV, but do now, you know, that stuff. That's not what he's talking about. He's just talking about what your flesh desires. And if you look at the life of Jesus, he was constantly fighting his fleshly desires, including things like hunger. Now, hunger is not a sinful desire. It's a necessary desire. If you ignore that desire long enough, you'll die. So it's kind of important. But yet, Jesus, one of his big temptations was what? You're hungry, which he was. He hadn't eaten in like 30 days, 40 days. You should eat. And he said, no, that's not, not that I shouldn't eat. And he ate immediately after the temptation. But he goes, but I, my life is not about giving into my fleshly desires. But we read sinful desires, but he doesn't say sinful desires, he says fleshly desires, the, the, what comes naturally. We'll come back to this idea. He says, you're going to follow what the spirit desires, not what your flesh desires, the physical, the natural. And then he says in verse 17 that these are opposite impulses. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Your natural desires are constantly going against God. It doesn't mean just your sinful desires. It means all your desires lead you towards sin. Even the good ones, like hunger. Crazy, right? But that's what he says. He goes, you, and that's why you see Jesus being tempted by, hey, you want some bread? We're like, why is that a temptation? You know, why is bread a temptation? He says, because you're trying to get me to live my life based on what feels right for me and how I feel, what my body wants. He goes, that's not okay. And we see that later with Peter. When Peter tries to tell Jesus, hey, don't, do, don't let anything bad happen to you. And Jesus gets mad at him. Verse 18, but, you are, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So they're also not combinable. Because the law is all about what? Controlling our, controlling our flesh. The law is about controlling our flesh. He goes, you can't, you can't do both. And then, 19 through 21, he says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. So he says, these are the results of what comes naturally. So this is, this is just the normal. And look at his list. Starts out in the areas most of us would probably be pretty comfortable with. Immorality, amen, hallelujah, uh, immorality, bad. Impurity, uh, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities means hatreds, strife means fighting jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, smaller fights, dissensions, minor arguments, factions, dividing up, left versus right, for example, envying, drunkenness, carousing, which means partying drunk, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And when he says that, they will not inherit the kingdom of God, doesn't mean if you do this, God won't let you in. That's how we read it, again, as Puritans. If I do this, I'm not allowed in. What he says is, if, that's, if this is what your life is producing, it means you're not on the path to the kingdom. That's what he means. Because if these, these, this is the result of following you. And so if these things are in your life, that means you're following you, which is not the path to the kingdom, because the path of the kingdom is Jesus. So he says, you, you don't end up in the kingdom. And then he says, but on the flip side, so anyway, but yeah, so these things are normal and common. You will not find a human group on the planet that doesn't have these things. 
They mix and match. They do it different ways. Sometimes they hide some of them better than other groups. But the, this is just, this happens. That's normal. It's common. This is, that's, this is what humans do. It's not about, man, things can really go evil. No, this is what happens when people are people. They're normal. It's, this is normal, common. But, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. He says, now these things are not natural. They're beyond natural. They're above natural. So we, we use the word supernatural, meaning above the natural, something greater than the natural. These are the things that do not come naturally. They're not you know, you think about, you never have to teach kids to fight, but you have to teach kids to not. Why? Why do you have, you know, I, we never, we, we specifically never taught our kids to be selfish, and they all were. I'm like, who did this? You know, we took him to church. Somebody at church must have got to him, and I wasn't looking. I said, Arr. you know, they were, they're, they're naturally willful and defiant, every single one of them. We didn't, we, I didn't check that box on the installation package, and it was installed anyway. This stuff doesn't come natural. Parts of it can at times, but that as a lifestyle does not result. He says these are abnormal, uncommon, because they're beyond us. He said that's the fruit of the Spirit. And then he says, verse 24, now, if you belong to Christ, you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucified means to put to death. Okay, you're killing it. He says, so you have to kill your flesh. You have to kill yourself. It doesn't mean commit suicide. That's not what he's talking about. But putting to death the natural, your natural instincts, your natural reactions. It can't be my life about me. And then finally in verse 25, in verse 25 he says, if we live by the Spirit, meaning we've given our life to God, then we should walk that way, walk by the Spirit, not, verse 26, boastfully challenging one another and envying one another. And he's going to, that's setting him up for what he's going to say next, which we'll do next week. So 26, we'll kind of save for next week. But not my life about me. Live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, not boastfully challenging each other. So let's talk about this. Let's discuss. That's an echo of 15, sorry. This thing clicker is only working half the time. Why do we so often see 19 through 21, and just if you need a refresher, if you don't have your Bible open, why do we so often see 19 through 21? Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, things like these. Why do we so often see a bunch of this stuff in the church Christian community? This is the, the discussion portion of our... Why do we see it? I grew up in a little Baptist church in southern Maine, and mom might be late home from a, especially a business meeting. And if a business meeting goes into overtime, that's never a good sign. And mom would finally come home, and dad always had, to, dad had a standard question. What are the Baptists fighting again? Because it was just expected. Why? Why are those things listed in 19 through 21? Why do we so often see them in church and Christian community. Your thoughts? We're all selfish. It's common and natural. We're all human. It keeps 
showing up. But what's that? We all have a will. Where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> Are you just waving? Oh, don't wave at me. Yes. We are of the flesh, we are going to sin, and we need to, it's that, that, that last part, that, that part where we're like, amen, 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 so we have to put it to death. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, it, I grew up watching this play out in church again and again. What's, what's the trick, though? How does it sneak in? How, 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 why does it show up? I mean, yes, we're human. Obviously, we, we understand why it happens, but why does it happen specifically? Like, because... Everyone who ends up being that way knows everything we've just said, so usually they don't know they're doing that at the time, right? So how does it, why does it sneak in? Yeah? Left to our own devices. We go into it, but, we, but I thought we were saved. We don't look to God. It's about me. It's about me, especially when I know I'm right. That's where, I find that's where it sneaks in. That the minute I know I'm right, then we're good. Because I'm, I'm right. You're, you know, you're wrong. I'm right. So uh, if we're having a problem, that's your fault. Because I'm right. Which is a focus on me. Pardon. Pride. But it doesn't seem like pride if I'm right does it? doesn't look like pride when you're right. I'm standing up for God. Yeah, tricky, tricky. I watched my church that I grew up in, beautiful little church like Beans Corner used to be when we were little, and uh, we had a new pastor come in, young guy, and he thought it would be better to not put, some of you have heard the story before, have the coat rack by the door because it was in the way. The people who were coming in in winter coats didn't think it was in the way because they were hanging their coats up. But, but he thought it would be better off in the back room. So he moved it. People came in and couldn't hang up their coats. So they moved it back. He went and went, I didn't go there. Moved it again. This was brought up when they fired him. Now they didn't fire him for that. They fired him because of how toxic it got, and part of it was because he had to be right too. You know, it was, and he, he was like, "Oh, they're unreasonable. Why did you keep moving it then? Leave it there. They're being unreasonable." Uh huh. But I'm right. Oh, so you're only divisive if you're wrong. No, because it's still me. So, second question: Do we see the fruit? So, the second the fruit of the spirit: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control as something to do rather than an unnatural result. Do you tend to look at that list and go, okay, I need to work on that? Yeah, well, it doesn't work well. But sometimes I can get, you know, three out of seven or something like that, you know, average it out. Do we, what do you think? Do you, have you tended to look at it as a, as a to-do list rather than something that's going to happen? It's, it's, Portrayed as, this is what happens. What do you think? 
No. It's a constant struggle. Why? I mean, it says this is what will happen. So why do we look at it as a to-do list? Because we're, we're so selfish. We're so... So let's, let's talk about that. See, when we embrace law and should, here's what you should do, we're still focusing on inward performance, right? So when you turn the gifts of the Spirit, the, the fruit of the Spirit, into I should, I should be patient, I should be kind, I should be... So should it, and I create a list of rules. Well, then, the example I like to use is humility. I need to learn to be more humble. So I'm going to really work on being more humble. And it works. You become more humble. Pretty soon you're like, I'm really good at humility. In fact, I'm better at humility than most people. In fact, I may very well be one of the most humble people I know. People should travel for miles around to admire my humility. And you don't even, and you don't even catch it. It's like, well, that makes sense. I've been working on my humility for a while. Aren't you proud of me? And you don't even hear it. It's like, yeah, that's good. Look at what a good Christian I am now. And it's, but it's all about you. It's, it's an inward focus. And we look at that list and say, okay, I need more patience. So I'm going to work on being more patient. And you're focusing on who? You. You're trying to do good things, but it's you. It's you. And it leads you into yourself. And it becomes about a performance. And that's why the gifts of the Spirit are so hard, because of the fruit of the Spirit, because we try to manufacture these. And he says, but when it's you, you know what you will manufacture? That other list. When it's, yeah, it's a complete failure, and it's the opposite of those fruit, because it was, what was the heart of them? About five different words for fighting. Factions, divisions, contentions. So now let's go back to what Paul said. Because Paul said that freedom is used to serve. And that the law, that the law was about how we treat others. So that was the whole point. The law was about how you treat others. That's what he said. And my issue, and you guys just said this in the discussion, myself is self-ish. Me is me-ish. Myself is selfish. And when I focus on me, it leads me to natural outcomes. And the minute I do, I immediately start seeing those outcomes every time. So I'm 52 years old. I've dedicated my life to the service of God and his church. So I serve at camp and I serve at church. And I'm a Christian and I try to live out the Christian walk and I try to love Jesus, and I, I, okay, great, amen, hallelujah, ooh, isn't Ira wonderful, and then I go home, and, and now I'm tired, and I've been being a Christian guy, and my kids are loud, and I just want you to shut up, now I don't tell my children to shut up, my boys will tell you, I don't tell them to shut up, what I say is, please be quiet, in a tone that means shut up. <laughs> May think you're going to strain your neck with nodding that hard. <laughs> Why? And suddenly, my kids are frustrated with me. I'm frustrated with them. We're divided. There's division. There's contention. Why? Because I'm tired. Because I'm done dying. And now I want to live. And the minute it's about me, the fruit of my spirit, the deeds of the flesh immediately become evident. 
there's an immediate result. But if I, at the end of that long day, say, say, okay, I need to die. Oh, but I don't want to die. But focusing on serving others, giving up myself because I embrace Jesus and his work, now that's supernatural. That is not what comes naturally. And if I live to be 80 years old and just keep learning more about Jesus at 80 years old, the fruit of the Spirit will still never come naturally to me. There's no point where the fruit of God's Spirit will stop becoming, will start becoming natural to me because they are not. They're the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of me. And at 80 years old, the minute I'm in the flesh, the minute it's my, my body, my feelings, my desires, which by themselves are not always being tired at the end of a hard day, that's normal. It's not inappropriate at all. Other than it's normal and natural, not supernatural. So now you say, all right, so now I'm, now I'm on the couch, and I shouldn't preach this to my kids in the room, because then they later say, so dad, why are you being kind of grumpy today? Aren't you uh, not in the spirit? And I'll be like, quit listening to the messages. And that's the danger of preaching this stuff. But I, I usually know, I'm just wicked convicted, and then you just say, I know, but I don't care right now, which is how it creeps into church, right? So then if I say, okay, I need to die to self, we don't understand what that means. Because if you just try to die to self by itself, because, well, Jesus told me to, you'll never do it. You'll, you'll actually start resenting God. Why do we die to self? Why do we crucify the flesh? What's the picture? Well, Jesus crucified. Because when I go, but I'm really tired, I've done my bit, right now I just need a little me time, which again is not unnatural or even wrong by itself. But now that I am being, now that that's being infringed upon, I want to defend me and my needs over the needs of the family. If I'm asked to give that up, well, why should I? And Jesus says, because I did first. Because you were wrong and I was right. And I loved you so much. I was willing to suffer giving up for you. And I go, well, that puts it in different perspective. Now it's not a demand. It's a reminder. And it's hard for me to be resentful when he did it more than I did. And that pain, and it hurts. When you're really tired, when you don't got any more to give, when you're in full, I need to defend what I've got left mode. To give that up is painful. Sometimes it's almost physically. It hurts emotionally because that's what death is. Death hurts. That crucifying the flesh becomes agonizing because I don't want to give this up. And Jesus understood that because Jesus had flesh too. Now, Jesus was sinless. Jesus never sinned, but he had flesh. And he tells us in the Garden of Gethsemane, what does he say to his disciples? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he spends the whole night saying what? I don't want to do this. Can we not? Can we not? Can we not? Can we not? Jesus spent the entire night saying, let's not. But his final response was, after each saying let's not, but not what I want, but what you want. So before he ever gets up on the cross and experiences physical death, he spent all night crucifying the flesh, which means killing 
your desires. And that's why the temptation is so big and why the temptation is so important because he hasn't eaten in 40 days and Satan says, well, you know, you're probably hungry after 40 days. Duh. Why don't you make some bread? Is that sinful? No. Is there a command against doing this? No. Is he violating any part of the law by going, bloop, bread? No, he's God. He can make anything he wants. So why doesn't he? Because of why he would have done it. And that's what his answer means when he says, man does not live by bread alone. He doesn't mean, I don't subsist on bread. You know, he's going to eat a few minutes. The angel's going to feed him. But he goes, but that's not how I make decisions. That's not how I walk. That's not how I conduct my life, by chasing bread. I follow what the Lord says. Now, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He goes, God defines my life, not me not my needs. And this will be important later because when he's going up to, he tells the disciples, I'm going up to Jerusalem and I'm going to get up there and they're going to capture me, beat me up and kill me. And Peter goes, no, dude, we'll never let that happen. And he turns around and he says, Peter, shut up. Don't say that. Why? Why does he get so mad? Because he said, I can't, I can't, you can't say that to me. What does he say to Peter? You are a stumbling block to me. Wait, you can cause God to stumble? Well, he causes flesh too. He says, I can't even think about that because why? It's so tempting. I don't want to. I don't want to. And so even before he gets to the point, he's practicing saying no to him. And that's why he jumps all over Peter. Peter, And what is, he, what is his instruction to Peter? Your interests are on man's interests, not God's. You're thinking like a human. Remember what Peter's terrible statement was. I love you, I don't want you to die. That was the terrible statement. That gets, he calls Peter the adversary. Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because your interest, saving my life, is not in keeping with what God has called me to. And that's where we live every day. That's where my toughest moments will be in those moments when I don't want to die anymore. And it's not in my best moments, standing up here, giving my Sunday to you. Hey, can we get together? Okay, I can steal myself up and spend some time with you. I don't care who you are. I can do it if I really got to. But when I don't want to, when it hurts, when it's going to cost me, that's when it's going to start hurting. It's death. It's death to give up things that are important to me. So this leads us to understanding this in terms of we evaluate our walk by the results we have tended to evaluate our walk by, am I following the rules? But the fruit of the Spirit and the deeds of the flesh, these are to tell you what's happening in your life. They're diagnostics. And so if I'm in my home and I'm finding I'm in conflict more with my wife or in conflict more with my kids, and I'm starting to see the deeds of the flesh that are evident, I'm going to go, well, why are they there? Why am I suddenly getting all worked up and why am I angry and why am I starting to have hatred and resentments and jealousy? That's a sign. It's not a sign of, you've got to stop thinking that way. It's a, I'm not in Jesus. I'm not under the control of the Spirit. I'm under the control of Ira. And when I'm under the control of Ira, the minute I, the minute I step into the control of Ira, the deeds of the flesh start to appear. And they appear every stinking day. But when I'm in the Spirit, when I'm remembering how much God, who was, wrong, who was right, treated me that was wrong, and live in that moment, 
yeah, I can do that too. I don't want to. But he didn't ask me to want to. He just told me to walk. And so I sit there and go, you know, oh, I'm so tired right now. And I just, oh, the kids are being rowdy. And the Lord goes, you're not giving up that much, kid. And I'm like, yeah, I know. You gave up so much more, willingly, even though you didn't want to. That's a weird one, right? Willingly, even though you didn't want to. The natural or the supernatural. Am I focused inward or upward and outward? The first two commandments, Jesus said the law could be boiled into two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because they inform each other. They can't be separated. Jesus said if you hate your brother, you've broken the first one too. Because you can't hate your brother and love God. Which is tricky because we think we can what am I focused on? The minute I focus on me, which I do every day, there's our battle. It's not become more patient. It's not become a better person. It's not stop lusting or stop fighting. It's are you focused on the spirit? Is the spirit living through you? Because, not because you're supposed to, but because he loved you first. And while you were still a sinner, he said, I will give up everything for you. And that reality and your belief in that, the God of the universe who loved you that deeply begins to redefine your own life. And then people will notice that. And what will be the natural outcome? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Because you'll say, how can I not treat you the way I was treated first? Next week, we're going to finish it as he goes from verse 26 into chapter 6. Because how do we do community this way when somebody messes up? And so we're going to look at the good show. Let's pray. Father, we struggle with this because we, our self is selfish. And we are so naturally selfish. And especially if we think we're right, we can get extra selfish. And then we struggle with trying to live up to your commands and we try to live up to your qualities and we try to manufacture the fruit of the Spirit and it just doesn't come naturally. Sometimes we fake it. Sometimes we just give up. And yet, Lord, you didn't command us to try to impersonate you. You commanded us to yield to you. But, Lord, that hurts. It hurts to give up ourselves. It hurts to surrender our rights, our freedoms, the things we're entitled to that we want so badly and value, good things. And yet you have called us to die. Lord, be with us this week as we walk out our, especially our American society right now is full of a lot of angry people and a lot of them claim your name. And yet they are hyper-divided, angry, spewing out terrible words. In your name. But there's no kindness, no gentleness, no peace. Lord, may that not be us. Whether it be in our homes with our spouses, our parents, kids, our neighbors, roommates, co-workers. May we each day put to death our constant instinct for self-preservation and the desires of our flesh and walk by the Spirit. 
Thank you, Father, for your patience with us. And we look forward to continuing to learn what it means to walk with you. We pray that others will see you in us, not our impression of you, but see you in us, and they will want to know more. They will be drawn towards you, not because of how good we are, but because they see you in the peace and the joy and the love and the patience and the kindness and the gentleness that they experience from us. Father, only you can do that. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.